0: We would like to first acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional gathering grounds for many diverse First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked this land and whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. McEwen's Pride Week is coming up this March 11th with some extra special events, including the launch of the Edmonton Queer History Project on March 8th. Please follow the links in the episode description to find all the other events being hosted by McEwen University, Concordia University of Edmonton, Nate, Norquest College, and the King's University. All events are free, so whether you're alumni, staff, faculty, or students, there'll be something for you at Pride Week 2022.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Research Recasted, the Knowledge Mobilization Podcast. I'm Dylan Cave, and I'm here with my co-host, Brittany Eklund.
0: Today is... extra special as we have three guests with us here today to talk about the Edmonton Queer History Project. Dr. Chris Wells, Darren Hagen, and Michelle LeBois. Thanks everyone for being here today. Um, first things first, I think we need to dive right in and meet everyone. Um, so I guess I'll start over here. Um, Chris, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your connection to this project?
2: Great. Uh, pleasure to be here uh, with you. We're, we're excited to talk about uh, the, the project. The Edmonton Queer History Project actually goes back uh, a number of years um, when uh, Michelle was previously involved as our, our curator, where we put together an exhibition at the Art Gallery of Alberta to celebrate uh, the 35th anniversary of Edmonton's Pride uh, Festival. So. Um, at that time, we really wanted to be able to start to um, capture some of the amazing history. What we like to talk about are the the people, places, and the moments that have helped to define Edmonton's community and our queer history. And so, uh, you know, this crazy pandemic came along and we thought um, this is a good time for us actually to uh, revisit our project and expand it and... And in particular, we wanted to actually get some money and resources back out to the community on those people who you know, been laid off or lost their jobs. And particularly, we know how devastating this pandemic has been to the arts community. So um, we were able to cobble together some some money from some different sources. And uh, um, we pulled together our, our project team, of which Darren, Michelle, and, and a few others, uh, Rob, uh, Michael Fair, Uh, Kyler, uh, Japkaran, and so we had a pretty uh, extensive team, diverse team, and the first thing we sort of did was was talk a little bit about what did we want to do, and long story short, we settled on uh, thinking about uh, the downtown Edmonton, and uh, ended up um, identifying various locations that we wanted to research, and it's turned into this project where we have now a a map, uh, we have walking tours, we have a website, we're going to have a podcast that comes out, to be able to uh, talk and showcase, you know, the the phenomenal, uh, rich history that we have here in Edmonton and, and a history that we often, you know, don't hear about or we don't really learn about, a history that's often silenced in, in our schools and in a lot of our public institutions, unfortunately. So we're trying to maybe, quote-unquote, set the record straight a little bit um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or queer the narrative, uh, yeah. but... Uh, you know uh we're just excited to, to get to get this information out there and to make these stories come alive and and the, and the people behind them that's really what this is about is the amazing resilience and strength of so many people for so long who've just been you know fighting to be themselves mm-hmm. and to find you know love relationships and a place where we can belong
0: okay um
3: in edmonton thank you
0: in edmonton <laughs> yeah that was a very um extensive Introduction uh, with very little about you (laughs) individually, Chris.
2: I'm not. I, I, you know, I'm just behind in the background to try to make some good things happen. But you know, it's great being here at McEwen in a in a university that that really cares about uh, you know community engaged research, and we want to use the privilege that we have here at this institution to better our community to take on some of the the tough uh, you know most pressing social. Uh, issues of the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really believe in uh, the importance of what you're doing on this podcast is taking research and mobilizing it into action, into conversation, thinking about, um, you know, big questions, you know, complex issues. And, and that's, you know, what I think a university does best is, is okay. working for the public good uh, out there. And, and that's really where my commitment is in the research that I do.
0: Okay. Uh, Darren, can you introduce yourself to us and the listeners? And then, yeah, just how about your connection to this project and how you got involved as well?
3: Oh, there's so many threads to this story it would be hard to pick one. Uh, I'm Darren Hagen. I'm a playwright and performer and author and composer and artist in Edmonton. But I've always been... Fascinated by queer history. My very first reading project was actually The Edmonton Queen, Not a Riverboat Story, which was a a history of the underground drag community in Edmonton, which was 25 years ago. 1996 is when I did the play, and then it was the first time anyone had sort of stepped forward and given a a piece of Edmonton's uh, uh, detailed queer history. Uh, that set me on an a, a exploration of constantly being obsessed with queer history. And so a lot of my work has had to do with with finding moments in history that can be viewed through a queer lens. But specifically Edmonton, I'm fascinated by the stories that are in Edmonton. I love this city. I moved here from Rocky Mountain House when I was 18. Hey, Rocky
0: always- Mountain House. I spent a, like every summer there growing up. My grandparents had a farm.
3: I actually, when you when you introduced yourself, I thought, I know some Eklunds. hmm Debbie, was it Debbie
0: Eklunds? Yes, yes, Debbie, that's my aunt. I think I
3: went to school with Debbie. Oh, my God, what a small world. Okay, so here <laughs> yeah, we are. I'm like, in okay, big, back to the topic. Here we are in the big city. Right, okay. <laughs> but there's a queer history in Rocky Mountain House, too, just so everybody knows, obviously, even, even with me gone.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> (laughs)
3: Oh, my God. Um, But Edmonton is a fantastic city, and uh, queer stories kept presenting themselves to me, and I just thought that's a brilliant way to to sort of steer my playwriting career, which is to uncover some of those stories. And plus, I'm a research junkie. These guys can both attest to that. I love getting into the nitty-gritty and the detail of any research that I'm doing. So... um, in terms of this project, uh, this project feels like an evolution from all the other queer history projects that have sort of I've been involved in, it, including the Queer History Bus Tour, which Michael Fair and I toured around for how long? Was, did that go like a decade? Wasn't it? Yeah, at least. It was about a decade. It would be impossible now because the streets are so torn up with construction. I was yeah, just thinking about that. It would we take you talking. two
4: decades. So <laughs> it's, e- <laughs>
3: it's easier to do the walking tour now. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, Chris, uh, Chris actually phoned me up and we were talking about uh, queer history projects and how we can move forward with stuff. And uh, I became... Uh, Writer in residence at Grant McEwen, or McEwen what, are we, what do we call it? McEwen University? Yeah, McEwen. I'm sorry, old school, old school. I've been lecturing here for a long time. Um, and it, it was a natural sort of uh, progression from that into uh, assisting. And it, at first, I was, think I was just brought in sort of as an advisor or consultant, but I ended up writing a few pieces because I, I just couldn't help myself.
4: Because
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much fun to do the research, and I, I got really excited by the amount of detail everybody was getting into. So, um, yeah, I'm obsessed with queer history. I can't wait to to do more of it and get more. I love the downtown walking tour because it sort of means that nobody has to wait for a bus tour to be organized. Yeah. They can actually just launch into it on those, uh, by themselves which I think is really exciting. So there's probably a lot more stories I could tell yes. too but I'm just gonna.
4: My name is Michelle Lavoie and I'm an artist and curator. Uh, I'm a postdoctoral Researcher at McEwen right now. I just completed my PhD in Ed Policy. Congratulations! Thank so, you, Dr. Thank you. Michelle, Lebois. I am, I am, I am. Mm. I'm not used to that yet. Um, so, yeah, artist curator, and my work is narrative inquiry, which is looking at stories, um, but also arts-based research, so visual narrative inquiry. And so, um, my interest is in the art and the artifacts and the story and how they all come together and 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 um, and tell stories and and dialogue and create dialogue in the community. So.
0: Well, I think that's really interesting because um, when people think of research, I think if you're especially like a non-academic person, you think of, you know, Bunsen burners and beakers and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, big academic tomes and papers. But during the course of even just working on this podcast, learning all about arts-based research, which is such an interesting and like beautiful complement
4: to how the academic world works. So Well, and there are so many ways to know. And I think, There are so many ways to know and communicate and communicate on all of these different levels, you know, emotionally and spiritually, mentally. There's so many. And so I think that is really the power of the arts-based research. And so my connection, as Chris mentioned earlier, is I came on as a curator, just actually just as I was entering, because Chris was one of my two supervisors, uh, grad school. And um, that was an amazing, amazing experience because in 2015, Chris and and Michael Jans, new city councilor,
2: Oh, that's right! Um, Back in the day, before he was famous, this could be like the farm
4: team for some future greatness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, back in the day, um, so they were working on a project, uh, bringing together what thirty-five plus years of community history, um, art, and artifacts and documents. And so, um, I got luckily hired as the curator uh, for that show, which was at the Art Gallery of Alberta in twenty fifteen, and and It was just amazing to see all of the documents and everything coming out of people's basements or garages and things that people had stored and kept precious for a long, long time and be able to actually put them in the public view in a way that they hadn't been before, you know. So, you know, being able to even have an exhibition at the Art Gallery of Alberta was quite a coup because that had never happened, not that way, anyway, and so it was multimedia. Uh, Michael Jans did the interviews; the beautiful interviews, which are on the YouTube channel. Oh, okay, uh, and yes. we'll link to that in the oh, episode description, please, please, uh, please do. And so they're wonderful uh, life history um, interviews, which were put into different themes: pride and fear, and and. Um, Gosh, I can't remember them all. Identity, community, nightlife, nightlife right. of course. Everything How you could can, I forget that? You can
2: think about, uh, <laughs> every adjective you can think about to describe the queer community uh, <laughs> basically became a theme.
4: We have about 11 or so. They're, they're amazing. And so those were on iPads and then there were documents and there were photographs. And um, I actually had been working, um, teaching fine art here for the uh, department, um, fine art department for a couple of years and I was just, I was stopping to, to return to full time for grad school and uh, three students from the fine arts department who had just graduated, my students came with me and, and volunteered to help and um, they helped curate the show and we put together art pieces and we have about 40 or so pieces of art that we created from the show and and so that was an amazing experience and it it helps me to see how we can bring art forward in this conversation. And from that, just to follow up really quickly, um, from that developed Trex, um, the Traveling Rural traveling rural Exhibition Program for the Alberta Foundation for the Arts. We did a show called Reimaging Normal, and we were able to bring together three... Um, I was a curator with Shane Golby, and we brought together pieces from the Edmonton Queer History Project as didactic pieces, and we brought together um, works by three emerging trans artists and three um, older LGBTQ um, ally artists and the, it traveled to 20, 20 to 22 shows in rural Alberta wow.
0: okay. from 2018
4: to 2020 and uh, one year uh, 2018 to 2019 I know this because the AFA keeps wonderful records mm-hmm. Alberta Foundation for the Arts and they had over 50,000 viewers and of that we actually had some families write in to say that um, to thank you for the show to thanks for the show thank, thanks Shane And to say it was the first time they felt their families were seen within the communities and some of these rural communities. That's really special. It was.
0: I mean, we are right out here in the middle of the prairies. And I know coming from some country family, a lot of times there isn't a very open attitude towards... Um, the LGBTQ2S plus community and especially like even if it's not aggressive or outwardly against it's not for so it's like this really interesting space where it's like I'm I don't believe in it but like it's not that bad and I'm like we could do better
1: (laughs) (laughs) a lot better
4: (laughs) well if I could just say I think that's where art is a really interesting thing because it's very (laughs) non-threatening You can go, you can look at it, you can just walk by it. You don't even have to acknowledge it. Um, but it, it's a place where people can begin to think about some of these things and open up places and spaces of conversation. And that's what Shane and I were really thinking. That's what Chris and I were thinking about the exhibition at the AGA as well. Like it's about, it's about beginning these conversations, opening these places of dialogue so these spaces don't close down so we can mm-hmm. hold those spaces open.
0: Yeah, and I do want to talk all about this because I'm sure that there are locations on the map that people are like, "Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is a part of our queer history." Um, but before the whole downtown
3: do- <laughs> Edmonton is a part of our queer history. Really, yeah. we could paint the whole thing rainbow colors. Um, but we- <laughs> yeah,
0: before we do that, I just wanted to know um, a lot of your, well, not a lot, um, but some of your collaborators and partners weren't able to join us um, for the podcast. Uh, did you guys want to say a little bit uh, about them before we move on, or maybe just give a shout out? Or
2: yeah, absolutely. You know, we we were fortunate to to be able to have uh, you know a wide variety of uh, collaborators, ranging from graduate students. Give a shout out to Kyler Chittick, who's from here, from Edmonton, but uh, um, you know is is studying in Queen's University, and so we were able to to bring him in him in to help with some of the the research and. And uh, a lot of the work, too, is like looking through old newspapers and, and mm-hmm. taking deep dive into archives. And we were able to secure some records from the police service and uh, the courts and and uh, going through community newsletters um, and all kinds of uh, ephemera um, that um, we were able to sort of track down to, you know, try to uh, um, look at all of the different threads of a story. You know, it, it's, it's hard when looking into the past to ever come with a complete or or final final story so mm-hmm. um you know Kyler was a big big part of that and of course Michael fair himself uh, where he's made so much of this history or been <laughs> been involved uh,
3: you know his dining room table is at the center of almost every piece of Edmonton queer history
0: oh my gosh
3: yeah it's an artifact itself it and, really needs and, to be preserved
0: <laughs> we're gonna talk a little bit more about that later. <laughs> yeah, which was,
2: you know, and it, it's so important that we have these these uh, you know, community historians, the the people who helped to to live and and lead so much of this history um as uh, you know, a reference point and and a and a guide uh, to this work. And then uh, you know, people like uh, Rob borotsky who um is one of the co-owners of Evolution Lounge, um and you know Evolution got hit hard during the pandemic and was closed and and so uh, Rob's a writer himself, and he had some, some time to work with us on the project and dig into um, the research and uh, and the writing. We just, we sort of tried to play to people's interests and strengths mm-hmm. as well. And then we were able to hire um, a student here at uh, at the university, um, Jeff Curran, who's in uh, the psychology um, department, and and he was working with us and, and going through... Uh, um, the Edmonton Journal um, archives and, and he really took the lead on uh, developing and fleshing out our um, history of uh, Edmonton's Pride Festival timeline. So we're, you know, with, with this, we're looking at all kinds of, of different uh,
3: elements. Um, mm-hmm. It was put- a beautiful combination of research junkie and lived experience. So there was eyewitnesses to some of it, and then people who could find stuff that had been buried for decades, and uh, that's just the 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 two points of view coming together really. Sort of sounds so
0: interdisciplinary. You've really like psychology. You've got art. You've got literature. I'm not sure (laughs) what faculty you're from, Chris.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm here in the health and community studies and and the department of uh, child and youth care, and and you know was able to use some of our research funding to. you know, help support this project. We have funding from, you know, places like uh, Michelle got funding from the Edmonton Heritage Council and um, the Stolri Charitable Foundation. So, you know, even the funding sources were pretty pretty diverse. uh, um, And um, you have great support just here at McEwen. There's a real thirst for this information, and people want to hear the stories, and people want to tell their own stories and their own connection to these spaces places and and moments so you know it was just a real privilege to be able to uh, be engaged in this work and I th- again I think you know that's what a, a university can do do best is um, you know to be able to assemble diverse teams like this of not just necessarily students but people out in the community who have an interest and in a way to preserve and and give back and you know help to share these stories for generations to come.
3: I think another thing too that's really important to stress in terms of the accessibility of this information now because I think that when something is led by an an academic institution, there's a lot of people who feel left out of that information or the accessibility of it and to be able to turn it into art and to be able to turn it into walking tours and stuff that they can just go explore on their own or go buy a ticket and go see a show or go to a gallery and see a display, uh, it puts the history right in the hands of the people who want to see it, which I think is great.
0: Yeah, Chris, you mentioned that um, you guys would be going kind of live in public around Valentine's Day. And I thought, like, what a fantastic thing to be able to do with your partner is to go explore the history. Like, what a great date. Honestly, I'm like, I'm going to do it.
5: <laughs> up, it'll be cold, but be <laughs> <limited>. <laughs> We're used
0: to it. We're used to it. <laughs>
4: That's wonderful.
0: Um, okay, well, you know what? I think right now we're going to take a quick little break.
1: There were quite a few people who worked on this project that aren't able to join us today. And here is Jap Karan Saroya on a little bit of what it was like working with Chris on this project. Working with Dr. Wells and the rest of the team on the project has been incredibly insightful, especially as a young queer person. We have a lot more expressive freedom in today's society, so it's always humbling to see that we were not always able to live this openly and I also find it so interesting to see what events and movements allowed us to get to this point in time. All right, welcome back to Research Recasted, the Knowledge Mobilization Podcasts. We just took the first little part to get to know some of our guests today, and uh, just coming back in, I want we we were talk a little bit more about the project and like how some of these stories came to be, where they came from. And you talk about basements and garages and like uncovering some of this stuff and um, just want to like, how did you, how do we find these things? And uh, is there like a call to action of like, hey, does anybody have any, any archive stuff? There's been a few
3: calls to action actually. And there's going to be many more because it it happens in, there's so much of it that it happens in waves and layers, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely. I I know that my basement has still yet to be emptied out. That's going to be a whole (laughs) wave in itself. (laughs)
4: My basement yeah. is featuring the uh, the uh, the exhibition still, so there you go. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know, Chris. You would probably talk about how it. Yeah, it,
2: well, it, it went back. It started back in in uh, our plans for this this exhibition at the Art Gallery of Alberta. So you know, at that time, we we started to uh, send out an open call to to people to you know to, uh, tell us your stories and. And uh, open your closets. I think is actually what we uh, we framed it as. Right, <laughs> every queer person has a closet, uh, metaphorically and, and certainly physically, um, where you know they're they're storing, um, you know, whether it's photo albums, um, you know, it's programs from art uh, shows that they went to. Uh, um, so much of this history is not uh, contained in official archives, so it's it can be very difficult to uh, locate you know, it wasn't considered being worthy of, of history of documenting, of, of preserving like so many other marginalized or vulnerable communities. A lot of it is oral history. And so, you know, even at the time in 2015, um, um, we did a lot of life history interviews that we video recorded and, and, uh, you know, uh, we, we spent a lot of time identifying people and we, you know, we wanted to get them before they passed away. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there was an urgency and an insurgency in this work because we knew that history would pass with them. And so uh, that's how we really got at some of the video, the the multimedia um, part of the exhibition. Is wasn't just, you know, the artifacts, but it was, you know, the layers of the story and how people interacted and how they experienced those particular moments of our, our history. Um, and so we just continued with that, and and a lot of that went back to when we helped to create the queer history bus tour, and and at that time, you know, there was a there was a map, and and stops kept being added, and so much that we had to add at the time a, a, a tour of South Edmonton around White Avenue in the university uh, area, and um, so we started with that list of spaces and 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 places, and uh, we just started to brainstorm. We literally, you know, we we. We sat around and we we talked about um what did we identify as those you know those must have moments, so mm-hmm. you can't, for example, talk about Edmonton's queer history without talking about you know the the chapter of um, you know the hiv AIDS crisis, which forever right. you know changed our community not just of the queer community but you know of of our our country and our world um so that had to be on the list, and then we got into. You know, spaces where maybe a lot of history hadn't been told in the past, like you know, queer bookstores, and um, also around you know, spirituality and sexuality. There was a lot of great work that happened in the in the seventies and the eighties with organizations like Dignity Edmonton and uh, you know the the MCC, the Metropolitan Community uh, Church, and affirming congregations, and they were you know some of the the organizations that just weren't creating safe spaces, but they were lobbying the government for human rights protections. And then of, of course, you know, our, our own formal community organizations, our only parameter for this project was, um, having to be downtown. And so we, you know, we sort of drew a circle and, uh, we said, what (laughs) happened? How far are
3: people willing to walk? (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's gotta be the pragmatic,
2: uh, components, but each of these sites is about more than just the location. They're, they're, uh, a jumping off point for us to be able to, you know, sort of uh, tell deeper, richer stories. So we might actually start with a physical location and then pick up the thread from from there. And, you know, going back, for example, with uh, the faith communities, when Anita Bryant came to Edmonton in 1978 as part of her Save the Children Against the Gays uh, Someone's
0: threw a pie at her, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Famous, that happened here too? Fa- famously. Yeah, I don't think the pie happened in Edmonton. That was, but I think that was, that was Florida in 1977. But, but a little known piece of the, of the history there was she was at the old Northlands Coliseum where she put on these revival shows where thousands of people would attend and she got a police escort there and uh, somebody from the queer community chain themselves to the oh gate Oh, I didn't know that. at the concert and was screaming Anita you've got us in chains <laughs> the, the whole time. So, you know, there was direct protest happening and yeah. and it yeah. was actually one of the moments, interesting moments back 1978 where people were marching in the streets to protest where there was this solidarity between this burgeoning, you know, LGBT community and, you know, labor unions and um other activists who just uh, came together for the first time you know to publicly denounce and also support uh, the LGBT community this was uh, that time before pride
3: parades were were a thing mm. probably a moment mm-hmm. too where the mm-hmm. Edmonton queer community realized that they were part of a much larger queer community because the Anita Bryant protest of course that was happening all over North America and so for the story to come here suddenly this community finds a reason to be enraged and to be activated and and I mm. think that that's Totally fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. The other one, of course, that always fascinates me because I've done a lot of research on it, thanks to the uh, voluminous amount of archives that Chris has gotten me uh, access to, which is the Pisces uh, bathhouse raid, which uh, I think one one of the things I love about the layers and layers of research and layers of layers of putting stuff out there in different displays and different formats is that as soon as you add stories to the universe, people step forward with more stories. And I love that. And the, the, the queer history bus tour was a perfect example of that because the very first queer history bus tour that I uh, led was not, there was not actually a bus. It was uh, two carloads of lesbians and me with cell phones. And we literally just, just sort of drove around and I pointed at stuff and then we would stop and chat about it. And Then we actually got a bus. And, and so the first one, I think there was what, maybe 20 points of interest? Basically, the bathhouse, the gay bars, a couple of cruising grounds—you know—that's about all there was. And as we did the bus tour, people would go, "Oh, that's where this happened, and that's where this happened." And so every bus tour became almost not just a, a showing off of what we already had learned, but it became another reason to soak up more information. And I'll never forget the day we were in Riverdale, and we were driving past the uh, community hall down there, where I had been to my very first same-sex uh, commitment ceremony. And we were talking about the dry lesbians versus the wet lesbians because there was a, a schism in woman's space, and then some. some. Some people wanted booze at the dances and some didn't. We couldn't figure out which one was which. And as we were driving around the corner, someone went, hey, that's where Katie Lang used to live. And we didn't know that. And so suddenly Katie Lang's house as a young lady (laughs) was suddenly on the next tour. And I love the fact that by the time we finished it, we had 200 points of interest and it was a two and a half hour tour. Just the downtown version. There's a whole other White Avenue version. And that only happened because everyone brought their stuff to the table. Another perfect example of that is when I did the uh, articles, it was the 40th anniversary of the Pisces raid this year. And so I did a series of articles for Edmonton City's museum project. Uh, And as soon as we uh, put those online, suddenly the first person ever, other than Michael Fair, that was arrested that night stepped forward and got in touch with us and gave us his story. And that's only the second time in 40 years that someone who was there brought forward an eyewitness account of what they experienced that night. And that's just that doesn't happen unless you actually do part of the work. It's not about here's the finished history. It's about here's what we know so far, and that's mm-hmm. going to trigger more stuff to yeah, come. Yeah, it's going to motivate a lot. Totally. And this this walking tour is going to do the same thing. I know it.
4: Well, I'd just like to say, first of all, thanks for defining wet and dry lesbians because I was like what are you what are you talking about there? I was also going to follow a, up on that well, it was, it
3: was,
5: it, was a, it was a good joke on the tour it
4: was yeah so yeah the visuals are I'd just, sorry, like, to, strike I'd just you. like to give a plug for Darren's uh, write up on the Pisces raid and the bathhouse at City Museums
3: City's oh, museums so, those are
4: wonderful write-ups it was that...
3: exciting to do and it was actually uh, you know got to actually pro, again the people and the places and the, the moments uh, we, we, I kept reading the same 2,000 words about the Pisces right? this many people arrested this happened this happened and it was the same story on over and over again and so finally to be able to sort of do some research on the men who were affected by it who were arrested that night whose lives were shattered many of whom had already passed on Michael was the only one that was still alive of the people that I profiled and to be able to do that research and get really into the Deep details, and um, I'll never forget. Just as I had, I was just about to deliver the final draft, and and Chris emailed me and said, "I just got a whole bunch of stuff from Edmonton Police. Do you want to look at it?" I am like, "Yes!" And he sent it to me, and the two of us in one evening went through. I think it's like three hundred pages, and some of the stuff that was in, in those articles literally landed in the in, in our inbox that night and made it into the deadline for the next day. Stuff that had never been seen before, and it was it's it's exciting and thrilling and enraging and emotionally draining. I've I've never cried so much as I have working on those articles. Mm -hmm,
0: And that's something I really (sighs) want to touch on. Um, First, I'd love to link to your pieces on the Pisces Raid. So if you want to follow up on that, we'll put a link in the episode description. Um, But something I think is really interesting about this project, Mm -hmm. and you guys have touched on a couple times, um, looking through newspaper archives and police archives. And I think that's something that's... Stuck out was that these kinds of resources that are coming from um, government or political organizations are going to be very Mm one-sided in the retelling of queer history. So can you talk a little bit about the experience of looking through those records, um, but also how they do fit into it and how you find representation of queer history in some resources that are undoubtedly very anti-queer?
3: It's uh, it, the, the Pisces stuff in particular was uh, difficult because um, I kept being able to see through the redactions and find people I knew in there. And, and I moved to Edmonton just after the Pisces raid happened. So the community was still kind of reeling from that. And I sort of entered into that shock without really realizing how traumatic it was for years, and so to realize what people like Michael Fair had gone through. I, I, I've told this story a couple of times. When I first met Michael Fair, um, it was 1981, and uh, I, I was in his living room, and we were chatting, and he was so positive and so enthusiastic about me moving to Edmonton. And I realized later, oh my god, that was the summer that he had, he literally, he, t- it was two weeks. I met him two weeks after he had been in front of a judge and after his life had just been completely torn apart. and and. To see that kind of resiliency and compassion, and still wanting to protect the younger generation coming in, that was just really that's amazing. Me, really moving to me, and over and over again, um, one of the people who was managing the Pisces Bathhouse the night of the raid was, uh, or the the manager was a friend of mine who choreographed me in my very first drag show. And we, we knew very little about him, and it didn't matter who I asked, we couldn't find much information about him, but I, I found stuff about him in the transcripts, and so that went into the official sort of article finally. And once the article was published, his niece reached out and contacted me, and suddenly I found out all these beautiful facts and saw pictures of him as a young performer and all these gorgeous moments of a, a man who was otherwise just existed sort of in the official transcripts as this criminal and so humanizing those records is really important to me and uh, you always got to remember when you're going through official archives that there's a human side to the story and it takes layers doesn't it chris like we've gone through those those uh, police records and court lists so many times and every time we find like a new name or a new story or a new date detail that just blows our minds it's it's i always joke with with darren about the, just the volume of, oh. of records we've
2: been going through and And literally thousands Thousands and thousands thousands of of pages. It's like we're, you know, we're reconstructing a cold case and, you know, and everything that happened and following the threads and running into dead ends and, and pieces that are redacted back from the records that, you know, we're, we're not given access to. And then so much of that is, as you pointed out is, is through the lens of pathology and the lens of criminalization. And that's how these, uh, uh, identities from you know the queer community were understood at the time and so um in some cases you know it's 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 emotional it's traumatic uh, you right. get angry to see the injustice that actually happened and Pisces you know was was very pivotal to the community here in Edmonton and uh you know was a defining moment as as Michael Fairwood would would describe it where he decided to, you know, be visible and to speak out and really became, uh, you know, one of the leaders and and the few individuals who were willing to put a, a face on the community. And he had a choice, right? He didn't know what would happen when he did that first interview, which... He, you know, as he describes, he did the first interview on television where they, you know, they disguise you and and then somebody called them up and said, Michael, I saw you on television. And he's like, what? Wait. Oh and they're like, well, I could recognize that voice anywhere. <laughs> he didn't recognize how, how distinctive his voice was. <laughs> and he, re, he realized it was a defining moment. And he said, you know, from that point um, forward, and this really stuck with me, yeah. um, was that uh, I'm going to be Michael Fair and yeah. I'm going to be proud of who I am and I'm going to you know, be visible and I'm gonna be public regardless of the consequences. So, you know, he had that choice like many of us do often, you know, to to, to be visible or, or or not to be visible and and you know, Edmonton's queer community forever changed.
3: Um yeah. the you know, impact of the city. And that's what kills me. We talk about the the, the Pisces raid as if it's this event that happened in a building. It's like no, 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 no. These people were the pillars of our community. There was an important, uh, a world-renowned uh, uh, neurologist, and and Michael Fair, who was about to become a queer icon in our city, and and a very talented choreographer, and the first empress of Edmonton, who you know created the whole drag scene in this city. And these were the people that were taken down by that raid. And you need to find those human stories, absolutely. And it was
2: the first time, really, the community organized and 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 fought back, uh, you know, in a sustained kind of way, you know, held community meetings, talked about, you know, legal strategies. We had lawyers from the, you know, the quote-unquote the straight community that were willing to represent and defend them and were equally as uh, outraged. And, yeah. you know, the religious organizations came together to host fundraisers, The you know, the Imperial Sovereign Court of the Wild Rose and others to pay for illegal defenses. And and what we found out through going through the, the record books is we believe that, you know, that that raid that happened after months of undercover police surveillance, the Pisces Health Spa just was a block. North of McEwen, right? It's yeah. it's actually part of McEwen's history in this area that many people don't know about. We believe that to be the largest mass arrest in Alberta's history yeah. that happened oh my that, that night. Um, I have said that many times, and no one has corrected us yet.
3: So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone keep it going. <laughs>
1: Um, so we've talked about Michael Fair like so much, and
3: it's hard not to. It, a hundred, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And it's it's a, it's I'm glad we're talking about it. And I want to go into like kind of a conversation of if these walls could talk type of thing. Um, we you mentioned the table. Can we, can we go into that?
3: Um, doing the first interview for the first podcast was with Michael Fair, and we sat at the table in his dining room, which is in the same place where I met him back in 1981. And around that table, um, the AIDS network was conceived of and launched. The Edmonton Vocal Minority was conceived of and launched. The Privacy De- Defense Committee for the Pisces Foundins was conceived and launched there. I'm just, those are just off the top of my head. You guys probably know more than I do. Yeah,
2: and to, to Darren's point, right? Because Michael was so central to the the organizing, and um, you know Edmonton's Pride Festival, you know, started started there, and, and we go back to to talk a little bit about that as one of the stops on our tour is the Centennial Plaza in front of uh, City Hall, uh, is where some of the early uh, Pride festivals were were held, and mm-hmm. you, you know people. First started marching with paper bags over their heads because um, if somebody saw them and were able to, to identify them, they wouldn't have a job come Monday morning. I think I was at that march, you know. Paper and, bags, and, I remember that. And you know, we we would tell the story about places like the Roost and you know Club Seventy and 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 Secrets and Prism and Flashback and. You know, there was a period of time and particularly in the downtown, and this was from my own experience. And, and I guess part of, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting part is thinking back now that, you know, I'd lived some of this history. I don't feel that old, but now I'm like <laughs> so like a sudden wake up call. You know what I went through when I came out in the '90s is now part of Edmondson's
3: queer history. Welcome uh, to getting older, Chris. Absolutely,
2: <laughs> I know, I know. There's no sympathy there, but it, it was, was going to happen bit of eventually. A, it was a bit of like forcing you to look in the mirror a little bit. Uh, but I remember, you know, in in the in the 1990s, just at the end of the era of flashback, when I, when I came out as a university student at the time, um, you know, you'd, the only really community space was the Roost and uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you'd park your car as far away as you could from the roost so nobody would see you sort of coming. Mm-hmm. And then you raced in before the gay bashers could get you and circling oh, in their pickup goodness. trucks with baseball bats. And and one of the, you know, the, what you learned quickly was you never left the club alone, yeah. right? You always either, you know, there was a taxi waiting out front and and you would dash from the front door to the taxi or you would leave in a group because you didn't want to get picked off. Uh, of It was a, you know, a, a dangerous time, but it, it also showed you how important those community spaces were that you were willing to risk that your own safety just to find other people like yourself in a space where you didn't have to worry about holding someone's hand mm-hmm. you know where you could meet a, a partner you could uh build and and be part of a community mm-hmm. um it was it was terrifying you know what the first time you know you walked in there yeah. and, and you acknowledge that you know you're you're part of the community and uh and it was exhilarating but once and, you're and in. life-giving at the same time. <laughs> and once you're in, it's so
3: important to your sense of identity.
4: And Absolute, absolutely, absolutely, and, and it's so interesting because I was coming out at the same time, right? So I was nineteen ninety-one, <laughs> relatively. Thanks, but, Darren. Um, yeah, I'm the, we'll, I'm we'll, the old we'll queen keep, tonight. We'll keep, we'll keep that, but mm, <laughs> not really, not really. But anyway, I need to um, invite Michael
3: more often, so I'm the young one again.
4: <laughs> in the early '90s, so I came out in Gaylock, gays and lesbians on campus at the U of A, and I didn't realize before, you know, working on this project, how like just plugged in we were politically. It, I just thought it was, you know the way it was, right? Mm. So I came out into that. And, you know, we created one of the first film festivals here in Edmonton, and the second one, um, Gay and Lesbian Film Festival, sponsored by the National Film Board. We had like three nights of films. Um, But, you know, when we went to the club, we all went as a group, back and forth. And so I, I didn't actually feel that. So it's so interesting, these different experiences, but just I was I kind of came out into that group, and so that was an amazing experience. I just want to mention as well, just um, the art and artifacts in and along all of this, and how they just help bring everything together. Like I just want to pull it back for a second yeah, to yes, the 2015 do. to the to the you know. So Chris and Michael went and they they br- asked for all the stuff. They asked they did the call, and and so I came on as curator. And when that happened, 2015, um, you know, which is the basis of this project in and so um, I came into a room that was full of boxes and boxes of stuff. And it was just overwhelming. Like it, I remember Murray's big Murray billets, <laughs> Murray's big box of gay, which was a big computer iMac box, just chockers full of, of documents. And so what the other part of it was um, seeing court documents. And I did read the Pisces raid report and we right. made a piece from that, but also, Um, GALA, Gay and Lesbian Awareness, which started Mm -hmm. in 1984, and just how they were resilient and how GATE, um, Gay Alliance Toward Equality, started in U of A 1972, I think. Um, 71. 71? 71? These timelines are, (laughs) 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 Um, you know, how they were petitioning the Individual Rights Protection Act from the moment. They were created. And yeah. so you saw, like, you're seeing all the documents and all of the resilience and just you know, Liz Messiah and Michael Fair and Murray Billet. And all Maureen these.
3: Erwin and all these Marine pioneers. Maureen Erwin, yes, yeah, my all gosh. these pioneers. These
4: people who were pioneers and were writing, they had so much resilience and so much... Um, Grit, right? They were—they were—they were like, "What do you mean we don't have human rights?" You know, and it was just constant. And but you see that when you see when you see the um, the art and the documents and the artifacts all together, it helps also give um, this beautiful this this picture um, of the fullness of the community as well. So Pisces raid happened, and like within a month, it was July. Um, uh, Gate uh, created a raft for the Klondike... Yep. For Klondike, Klondike Days. Days, yeah. The and Michael raft Fair was a raft race and it was called the SS Pisces and it was a big pink triangle uh, which was the uh, the sail and and Michael was dressed like a big chicken. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what that was
3: about. <laughs> I thought it was a rubber ducky story. he said. Rubber I, ducky. Ducky. I, remember. It was right, I remember that. It
4: was not a chicken. Yeah, well, right, and Klondike chick- Days <laughs> was when I did my
3: annual summer trip to Edmonton so I would have met him just after that float probably.
4: But I... I the sense of humor mm-hmm. you know yeah. in all of and the resilience of the community and so from from seeing the art and the artifacts and the posters and the film nights that were happening since 1981 yeah. um, you see like I don't know how to say it the roundness of the community the yeah. fullness of the community and the resilience and the spirit of the community as well as the resistance you start to see in and piece together this sort of fuller picture Yeah, community.
0: and like something, I'm really glad that you um, brought us back to here because something I'm really curious about is, you know, you're talking about these volumes and volumes and vo- volumes of material. Um, so kind of in the realization of this project, like how did you guys stay organized and kind of not get swallowed by all of this? Like a little bit, you know, how did you curate it? How did you stay on
4: top of, of so, the focus process? On, focus so, on
3: your story. <laughs> so, And first,
4: and 1st they're kind of two different projects, I think. And so I do have to make that differentiation because when we started in 2015, mm-hmm. it was the stuff and the boxes and, and it was very grassroots and organic and finding what was in there as well as, you know, knowing that there were certain events to try and find. But it was um, who had the materials and who could give it. And then what was there, and then that was a helpful building block, I think, for this.
2: Yeah, and you know that was really, uh, you know, that call to open your closets was a community history, and and being able to, you know, tell some of the stories, um, uh, and that was always the launching off off point was to use the objects to get to the stories, right, and the experience, mm-hmm. the actual experiences. It's sort of like. The hearts and the minds, right? We wanted it to be as accurate as we could, and 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 research and reference and and go back to the original sources, uh, you know, in the life history interviews to help us with the, you know, the the dates and the times. You've already heard, was that seventy one? Was that yeah. you know? Was that seventy two? And and for us to make sort of sense sense and meaning of what we were we were able to uh, to to find and and as an example in 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 creating the downtown map so you know we once we settled on the the locations that you know started with a dozen and then all of a sudden turned into 27 and 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 there could be more right we just had to now put some closure and some parameters around things um and we started what we thought would be a pretty simple project at least in my mind but it was like okay well famous
3: last words when it comes to history yeah exactly
2: <laughs> Sometimes your own uh you know naivety is yeah. uh, is a blessing, right? You don't know what you're getting into. Um but we thought it would just be one or two paragraph descriptions and they turned into really uh encyclopedic entries and yeah. and we would do um you know somebody would volunteer to start writing about that um that history of that location and then we would bring it back to the group and we would build and we would add and um it was really this um this very rich sort of uh, mm-hmm. process until we till we till we got it right yeah. and we'd say no you know the tone of that is wrong you yeah. know and and to your point we need to we need to lift up the voices of the people it's it's too it's it's too much coming from the perspective of the police
3: records or or yeah. or, or to try and talk someone who hadn't even been alive when the AIDS crisis hit to actually sort of go okay Here's what it was really like. Like you've got all the facts here. Let's talk about what it was like to actually be in the middle of that, right? You
2: know, and to what Darren said, uh, you know, earlier, we'd be we'd be working on these write ups through, oftentimes through through tears, right? And and uh, they were, you know, really emotional and and powerful. And and here, you know, we're a group that's been, you know, working on history for for some time, and all the new things we learned you know, it was like around every corner was another piece of the the puzzle that was beginning to fit into place and, and, and recognizing, you know, where the histories that even we've been able to document are still partial. They're still not the full picture. We know, you know, we've been really trying to to pay attention to, you know, the diversity within our community and the intersectionality and to lift up, you know, stories that are, are not often heard, um, you know, as well. So, um, we're we're excited to be able to put it out there, knowing that we're going to hear more, and we're going to invite people to continue to help tell the stories that are that are out there. We we think we have enough uh, material, probably for several more maps, because you know queer history doesn't just happen downtown; it 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 happens you know everywhere, and.
3: One of the things that this has really taught me is that it's really important to find your own identity and your own place in the history and I think that's what it does is it just makes you feel like the history is not something that's abstract or not part of your life that you're actually living through history and I think that that's something that we have all become aware of through this process. I was interviewing uh, two of the founding members of Gay Alliance Towards Equality and uh, Bob Radke, talking to him he was 70 some years old and he's sitting in front of me and he hands me this folder and I open it up and there's a clipping from the Red Deer Advocate and there's this beautiful young man with beautiful long hair and it's 1975 and he's an activist and he's proud and he's hot and I'm looking at him and going oh look at this handsome young man and then I realize it's the beautiful old senior sitting in front of me as a beautiful young man and that, that's an experience that I hope every queer person can have where you can actually recall someone's early energies, and like, I was in grade five in 1975. He was already fighting for my human rights before I even knew that that had to be a thing that happened. And I think that that's a piece of important history that, that w- all queer people are gonna be able to participate in uh, at some point.
4: There's some, yeah, it, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> it's reminding me of, um, so when I did the, the, the film festivals, I didn't know that Gateway had created, the Pink Tri- Triangle Supplement, Ga- um, at the U of A? At the U of A, yeah. And, and uh, I opened it up. I found the pages and I found the actual films. I was like, wow, we were really ahead of our time. Like, you know, it was me and And, Kayla. and But it, to be able to see and touch those pieces of history and, and those pieces of your past or to see a photo is like, oh, my fr- I, there's, you know, Mary and there's Mark. and I, you know, They're my friends sitting on the hill in that photograph. And to be able to see and touch those and remember those times... It's very very poignant and 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 that's one thing at the exhibition as well like just watching people when they actually walk through the AGA stop and say oh I was there and the stories that would come up and and um, the storytelling that began because they were interacting with these artifacts um, I'm not sure who wrote about it but the idea of, of touchstones through time these pieces these actual artifacts these physical pieces as well as the stories work together to create like these little lily pads. I think Mm. Darren was talking about that. Um, Touchstones through time, this idea of queer temporality and that you can kind of have this physical connection, but also this emotional connection that can help you kind of go back through time and and feel your own stories with with these other stories as well all
3: about time travel these days and that's exactly (laughs) what it does for me is i I feel like i can go back and remember like Remembering that moment where I first met Michael Fair and then putting it into a context of what he was going through so it's no longer just about me and my life now suddenly it's like oh my god I entered into his life at that moment too and remembering yeah. that we're not just islands yeah and I think as as queer people with a community that was often disparate or not or invisible in a history that was often untold that's been one of the things that has really held back the queer community and individuals in the queer community is just not realizing that they're not alone and that's this is gonna do a lot of uh, uh, have a huge impact on people i think
1: for sure i totally agree um before we move on to like talking about what's next for the project and like where we're, where where this might be going um what are maybe some of the more surprising p- places um and spaces that you've found maybe ones that people might not be aware play such an important role in edmonton's queer history
2: You know, great, great, great question, um, and it was it was sort of hard for us to sort of stop at at, <laughs> at the number that that we did. But uh, what we did is we kept an, another list sort of going to say, you know, when we have more time and and more funding, we can expand the map. We can add more walking tours. Um, we can we know that there's a you know a whole history happening in in Oliver here at at McEwen. So as a sort of a little side thread, I. You know, I, I was asking about you know McEwen Archives and and I know some pieces of queer history that happened here where they held at McEwen the first uh, diversity conferences of Alberta Society Conference, which was the bringing together of all these different faith communities to talk about the importance of spirituality and and sexuality and you know that was fostered. You don't know, hear about when we talk about McEwen's history. How often are we talking about the queer history that happened on our own campus? for example. And, and you know, this history isn't, excuse me, isn't shared or preserved unless there are people who do that, right. As part of it. So, you know, part of this is just the question, like where do you go to find queer history? Um, We're having a lot of debate in the province around the provincial curriculum and, and, you know, particularly the K to six curriculum and, you know, LGBTQ people have been in written out of the curriculum It's as though we don't exist. And it really brings us back to that, you know, slogan from, you know, the HIV and AIDS movement where silence equals death, you know, where you try to erase us, you try to ignore us, right? You try to render us invisible or as disposable. And, you know, when young people are not growing up knowing their history, right, it tells you that you don't have a future without a past. And so you think about all this, you know, to Darren's earlier story about you know, m- meeting Bob and and seeing these these images, right? Like that's history that's not taught anywhere. Where you you learn about the people who fought for the rights that you enjoy today, right? It's in every other community gets to have a history, and 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 you know we're paying more attention to that now, thankfully. Uh, but that's why schools are so central. They're the they're the heart of communities. It's I often I tell the story that if you want to know what any culture values the most anywhere in the world. The first thing you need to do is go and read their children's books because that's how we directly transmit our values and that's why queer children's books are amongst the most challenged in schools and public libraries today that somehow we're still seen as a threat right and and you think about those queer kids who are looking and striving to be able to find their identity find a space that they belong find a community you know, so unless many of us, that
1: literature is out there, there there's nothing for them to know. That's who they belong to, or like who they are. It's like, oh, I actually identify with that. Like growing up with those books, I 100 percent understand.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The visibility of the culture is important. I'll never forget when I did the Edmonton Queen back in 1996, and and my picture was on the cover of C Magazine in a pink dress. And you know, I'm just I, I love having my picture on magazine covers. That's not what the story is about, though. A friend of mine. <laughs> who hadn't come out to his father, had the magazine sitting on the coffee table, and it was a weekly, so it would have been on the coffee table regardless of if I was on the cover or not, but his father looked at that and looked at him and said, do you know this person? And that was the first instance that this person had that, in fact, his father did know that he was queer and that they actually got to talk about flashback and and the culture there. And that opened up the conversation. Just having a picture on a magazine cover, having that kind of visibility, launched an important father-son conversation that might not have happened otherwise. So the visibility of the cultural stuff is totally important.
4: Well, and the cultural stuff itself, like getting to the reason why you know, people are drawn to the arts, whether it's writing, performing, doing visual arts, you know, it's, it's, there's that freedom and that creativity and that way of expressing that maybe starts some of these conversations as well. I mean, I think that's just interesting.
2: To your, to your earlier question, some of the ones that I think, uh, you know, surprised us or that, uh, you know, we learned along the way, uh, you know, I think of um, one of the locations, which is, is downtown, it's Wallbridge in uh Em Emery Emory. 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 Emory, which is uh, was the first uh, all-female architectural firm you know and it was this amazing uh, you know lesbian couple and uh, you know they they couldn't be out in, in public at that time but uh, they were so instrumental into the architecture and the landscape of our city and they traveled all, all over the world to different uh to different countries and brought back uh, so much of that that learning, mm-hmm. and they you know ended up uh, in their estate, uh, you know helping to preserve uh, you know part of Edmonton as a protected park, mm-hmm. and they they continued to sort of give back um, to our community. That's a beautiful story
4: in a lot of ways. Well, and they were possibly the first um, women architectural firm in North America. I mean I we, we, so. we, we thought that might be the case, and then the other part is, I mean, they were invited on this tour of Europe, right? after the second world war after they were invited there were two women and a f- just from north america just a few architects and they those two were invited to be part of that tour you
2: No, know, it was sort of we talk about a you know a love that could not be publicly spoken at the time but uh you know they were they were partners in 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 their work and you know in their love and it was just a, a very rich beautiful story about you know pillars of our our community that found us a, a space in a place and and gave so much back to our community right and and these are the kind of exactly the role models and the history that we need to be connected to Absolutely. right that gets rendered sort of invisible or silent or you know it's it's just something maybe you know you you whisper about and that's been a big part of uh, our objective is pr- of this project is to you know make this history
3: visible and you know speakable and to invisible yeah Yeah, experienceable. Yeah. You can actually go experience it. I think one of the stories that interested me a lot was a story that I thought I knew everything about. That's the other thing is when you, th- you think, <laughs> there's several times where, I, oh, I'll take care of that article. I know everything about that one. And you start to write and start to research and realize you barely know the surface, right? And one of those articles was The Hill. And so when I started to write about The Hill, which was uh, McDonald Hill over there, uh, over the River Valley, which used to be a cruising ground in the 70s and 80s. But when you actually start doing the research and realize how much anti-gay violence happened there and how many moments of resistance there were, when queer people fought back and the fact that it used to be a place where people would hang out when the bars closed because that was the only place to go afterwards before there was a bathhouse and mm-hmm. and where there would be drag queens and gay guys and they were all hanging out and if the gay bashers showed up that sometimes they would fight back and that there would be these rumbles but also when you start connecting the dots this is what's really fascinating is when the dots start to connect because history is all um, a giant web so for instance when the media in 1981 kept haranguing uh, going on and on about the you know the the, the debauchery and the queer community from the Pisces details, that at that time, gay bashings on the hill went up and suddenly violence on the hill started to happen and become more reported. And suddenly the hustlers were all starting to carry weapons because suddenly they were being attacked. So there's a direct sort of connection that you can make between the way that we're portrayed in the media and the results on the the reality on the ground and how that affects people's lives. A hundred percent.
0: Representation matters and how people see you matters and so i think that this is a really fantastic way to make some of our favorite um and even unknown landmarks a part of a visible representation that like this isn't something new this didn't just happen in the 2000s when everyone got hip and funky and <laughs> 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 so whatever people want to consider like queer people have been around forever and tracing that back i think i mean it's so exciting and it's so fantastic Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back and uh, see what's next for the Edmonton Queer History Project.
1: Here is also another person who couldn't join us here today. This is Rob Brakowski saying what it was like working on this project with Chris Wells.
5: I can't even drive through all of our downtown without being inundated with my own queer history. So it was indeed an honor to collaborate on this project with with so many uh, incredible people. Just driving down Jasper Avenue, I'm flooded with memories of places I've worked and the people I've met and and the stories that they've told me. So much of our collective queer history has been an oral history. But as our community ages, it becomes so much more important for us to take those, those records and and write them down so that future generations know the brave people who fought to change the world, to make our city, our community, our country safer, more inclusive, more celebratory of the incredible diversity of gender identity and sexual orientation that's always been a part of it and is only now... Truly being recognized.
0: I just kind of want to know what's next for the project. Uh, I know that there is a podcast that should be out by now. Um, Darren, can you tell us a little bit about the Edmonton Queer History Project podcast?
3: Well, it's exciting. We have recorded the first episode. Uh, Hopefully by the time this airs, there will be more episodes in... March 3rd. March 3rd. Oh, by then we'll have it all done. (laughs) So, yes, it's all online now. Okay, me. folks, you heard Darren just that commit that. to having it all done
2: by then, so uh, and we'll link this to will all be the of official contract.
3: What have I just done? Yeah. Um, we actually uh, interviewed uh, Michael uh, Michael Fair for the first one, and just this embarrassment of riches when it comes to interviewing Michael. His recall is insanely detailed, and it was hard to keep him on on focus because, uh, because he's got so many stories. It's not just the story of his activism or of, of of his coming of age or of his political career but it's also all the community engagement that he did and and uh, and uh, just it was brilliant to be able to sit at the table where so much of that early mo- early moves towards equality had happened and to to hear him recount in astonishing detail that's it's going to take a while to edit it down that's mm-hmm. that's the only reason it's not done quite this moment but yeah it'll be it's going to be fabulous and Chris has floated a whole bunch of ideas we have lots of ideas about who could be next hoping for some big names and some surprises and yeah like, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to say anything because no one has because con- confirmed yet but yeah
0: I'm just kind of curious about like you know what what can people expect from the podcast what's your plug
2: well oh, I, I think it's making idea. the stories come alive yeah is is really you know what the podcast is all about you can you can read about the history you can see some of the 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 images the archival you know images that go along with uh, the locations and then we wanted to, to people to be able to have that first-hand you know personal experience about um it just opens up so many more opportunity opportunities when you talk about story and yeah. the richness of story and and how we share our experience and make, you know, collective meaning and understanding You know, that's how we build community is around kitchen tables, yeah. right? Like like we, we we said with Michael Fair, how much of Edmondson's queer history started there. It's, it's no mistake that he's the first guest of the podcast. He's where the map starts, the Michael Fair Park. Yep. Um, as, uh, you know, a place for us to be able to launch into so much of the other History, but we also, you know, we're we're cognizant too of of the histories that we're telling too. We 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 don't want it uh, to be primarily focused on a white gay male history either, um, and so we're really you know working to diversify those stories and really encouraging people. If you have a, an idea for somebody to have on the podcast, oh, yeah, there are there. The nice thing is there's there's lots of. Um, of uh, different opportunities to learn about this queer history were one example, but there are other groups of the, the queer history story portal. Um, there's uh, other podcasts that are out there as well. Um, the Edmonton public library has been doing, um,
3: uh, some queer history work and videos. The Edmonton City is Museum Project has done a great series of articles. That so on not. our website,
2: we're going to be linking to all of uh, those different sources so that we can just sort of be like a hub and a portal mm-hmm. as an entry point for there's so many layers. And it's so fantastic that, you know, there's such uh, an interest right now in being able to uh, share these uh, these stories.
0: Okay, think, so if you have a story to share, or you know someone. Absolutely. we will link to the Edmonton Queer Project <laughs> History Project <laughs> website, and from there you can find <laughs>
2: social <laughs> where? media. We're everything, on Facebook. Uh, okay, and that's really going to be our portal for uh, you know people to share um, you know their experiences, their reactions, because Perfect. then people can you know you can uh, the great thing about social media is you can build on the threads and you can yep. pick up on the conversation, and we're also uh, on on Twitter as well.
4: Well, you know, it's interesting just listening to this because it, it what, what it makes me think of is the whole project was very much a co-development with the people we're working with, with the groups, with e S, with the Citadel, with Woman Space, with the people who were the knowledge holders. Um, it was very much co-developed. We'd write, we'd give it back, back and forth. And, and that's why it took so long, right? It was yeah. the co-development. And then it went to the group. And then so I started the piece on the Citadel, but I didn't know all the history that Darren knew about <laughs> loud and queer and uh, the hell parties, everything that yeah. happened at the Citadel. Um and, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it was really interesting because it developed this way, it developed in a grassroots way, it developed in this co-developed way and then in our group. And then when it's going out and, and being disseminated, it's still a co-development, yeah. right? It, that hasn't ended. And so the different accessibility points, whether it's audio or visual or all of the above or some kind of interactive media, it's, it's, all, it's all tying together in, in the way that it's been done from the beginning.
3: Nice. I think one of the, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the exciting things about the podcast is that it's, it's firsthand eyewitness and I think that's really wonderful to be able to hear the stories in the voice of the person who experienced the stories. That's something I'm really excited about. I love interviewing people. And yeah, it, it
0: kind of sounds like, you know, this hub and this project might kind of be the kitchen table. Going forward, oh, that's nice. as a place for people to kind of come, find resources, find stories, and to share, and I think that that's really great.
2: Yeah, it's it's you know Basically it's definitely a, a launching off point, and and you know that we know the history doesn't stop when we put it out there, and in some ways, it only begins once it goes out and lives in the world, and that's exactly if we've done a good job, it's going to elicit more stories, mm-hmm. more
3: sharing, more uh, experience when I was working with the Evington city museum project on the Pisces raid and I had to call her up and go, I need one more day because we just got some new information. And the, the headline of the email was history is a moving target. And that's kind of something that I've kind of held out there as a mantra. Don't ever think that it's done just because you've, you know, spell checked the article and sent it in. Mm-hmm. It's just the first layer. It's
0: never done. It's never done. <laughs> so I guess moving target.
3: Yeah. What,
1: what are, where, what's, what's next? Like what, areas of edmonton could we explore next to expand on this project
3: With so we have many s- possibilities so many so
2: many ideas so many possibilities oh my goodness as we said for this project in the downtown we literally had to draw a circle and you know and it was like what was going to be um, you know walkable it was was one of the deciding factors too so we put a lot of locations in the parking lot uh 124th street has a rich history there's you know, uh, Pride Parades used to end in Oliver at the, the Oliver Community Hall in yeah. the pool. Um, we have here at McEwen. Um, and um, th- then the whole South Side. Yeah, that's uh, that, a whole that, that
3: ha- different history. A lot of lesbian history on the South Side, too, which is kind of interesting.
2: A- and, um, you know, queer history that happens in the suburbs. We, we say queer history ha- happens everywhere. You just need to know where to look, yeah. right? And mm. to pay attention, you know, to this. So, um, we're, we're hoping that with uh, potential funding down the road that we'll be able to continue uh, this work and continue some of the mapping. But we also want to augment what we've already done. So, for example, we've done these walking tours, but we've been toying around the idea, wouldn't it be great to do an audio tour that you could listen to mm-hmm. as you're walking by these uh, spaces? Um, and then we're sort of... Uh, Bored from the idea of the, uh, you know, the the National Heritage Minutes that you see on television. Oh, the, yeah, Heritage
0: <laughs> to, Moments. Yeah, Heritage
2: <laughs> Moments to do the, with the Queer Heritage Minute. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to have, you know, somebody stand in front of these locations and, you know, tell a short story about them and to create that into a video? Then that could be, you know, added to that location on the website um, or could be, you know, shared on uh television, for example, you know, literally there's the possibilities are are endless.
1: I think there'd be a lot of funding available for a project like that. Mm-hmm. That's fun.
0: And I think um, something like, you know, when you go through old Strathcona, even my mom lives in Highlands and all of the houses have a plaque. Like yes. her house was built by the Gibson guy. So he built the Gibson block and they've all got these little plaques. Are plaques a thing? Can we do plaques? <laughs> oh,
3: Can we do plaques? I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping plaques are a thing. Um, I do love what can't a good plaque we do? It's yeah, be, exactly. better the question.
0: So, you know, is that something that you would work with the city on? A
1: plaque with a QR code that'll link you to the video of the person telling you about the story of it. Exactly. Exactly.
2: We're
0: on it. So
2: hopefully, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, we'll uh, we'll have more information on that. But we've already actually engaged uh, conversations with the city of Edmonton and their planning and heritage department they have been super supportive and and interested. Um, They have a matching grant program actually for for creating those kind of heritage signs. Uh, So we've actually been looking at uh, already what other cities in the world have done, um, you know, looking at potential designs. And again, like you said, the potential possibility of adding a QR code. So somebody could stand in front of that location, you know, and then go to the website and they could, you know, watch a video or they could read. Uh, the 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 written history of that location, or they could look at uh, you know images as yeah. well. So I love that I love that
1: uh, audio tour yeah, idea. Yeah, hear too. like mm. a clip of someone totally. telling
0: Absolutely. a like story, especially I if mean. it
3: was timed so that you could sort of finish one story just as you got to the next one. That would be
1: perfect. Or the, yeah, every time you scan the QR code, it starts the yeah. next the next thing. The next story. I, so. I,
3: I will say that when I was doing some work scanning a whole bunch of my drag archives for the Edmonton uh, Heritage Council, I actually was approached about potentially uh, a plaque outside Walla Walla West, which was the drag house that no longer exists where Lulu and I sort of launched our drag careers and became famous. And I just thought that would make me so happy and it would have made Lulu so happy. She would have been so proud.
0: I think that's really fantastic. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I mean, you've got what you've done already on the project. You've got, you know, augmentation and building. This sounds kind of like a lifetime fair do you guys see <laughs> yourselves but like do do all you know do you all see yourselves being involved with this? Basically, like, where does it end? Is it there a stop point?
3: It doesn't. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to jump in and say it doesn't. I've got I've got uh, a, a book and a play and a documentary version of the Pisces story coming out. I'm working on a, a screenplay version of the Witch Hunt at the Strand story, which is the same-sex trials of 1942. Uh, the Edmonton Queen is being adapted into a feature film right now. We'll see if it ever happens. It's been happening for decades. But um, th- every one of these stories has many lives in them in terms of how it can be portrayed and put forward for the public. So I would venture to say that we'll probably be uh, fascinated with slash obsessed with Edmonton queer history for a long time to come.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and I, yeah, Sorry, I see art, I see art exhibitions coming yeah. out of this that could travel. I see um, <clears throat> different archiving possibilities. And, and, you know, there are so many documents that are behind the scenes that for researchers and community archivists are not available. Can we make them available? Can we scan them? Can we make them digitally available to people so they can read it and read this history as well? Um, So I think that's another whole, uh, there is basically a community archive that's developing as well. And so how do we do that and make that accessible? And, you know, possibly exhibition as well. You know, I see exhibitions with, you know, Queer history minutes and stories nice. and things like that happening. I can see that, and I can see that traveling as well, and and with possibilities of media. You know, how do you integrate some of those things? Um, and also, what are the what is the impact of that? I mean, I think it's also. Hmm, I don't want to get into it too much, but with art, it's you know there's so many viewers, and that's the impact and the measure of impact. But really, we know that it's so much more than that, and that's a beginning sort of emergent area of research. I'm very interested in what is the impact, how do we measure that to help support the work going forward?
3: I've got a beautiful thing that happened just recently that can kind of speak to that in a way, which is when um, the Milla Pub burnt down two weeks ago. Yeah, And right away, they were like, this is where Edmonton's first gay bar was located. And I was just like, yes! Because there's no way they would have known that, except for the amazing work that the queer historians in this town have done by drawing attention to the fact that Edmonton's very first gay bar started in the basement of Miller's Pub. See, for, that's
0: something that surprised me. two weekends, me. the owner
3: found out it was a queer bar, kicked them out, they took them to court, they but managed still. to win, they got their stuff back, and they, they launched a new location in a different place. But the fact is, is that as I was watching it happen on the news, they already knew that. And then they reached out all day to sort of get you know the, that angle, that story angle. And it was, even though it only was a gay bar... Bar for one weekend or two weekends, and it was Miller's pub for decades. Um, the story of the queer narrative is the one that got put forward, and I think that that's um, that's that's impact.
2: It, it just really demonstrated to us the the hunger and the thirst for the for this information that's that's out there. You know, mm-hmm. that was literally there for two weeks, and that defined that building, yeah. and that space, that that's you know. That's
0: so great.
2: <laughs> um, and and so we want to get more and more of these stories out so part of our goal too is now that we have the map and and the map is available in a printed uh, you know, paper copy. We still believe in in the power of objects and and holding <laughs> things and and you know being able to. I think uh, all of us are old enough to remember about you know unfolding a map and then trying to fold it back. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <together>. <laughs> when you guys right? came in today, I yeah. was
0: like, it's upside down.
2: <laughs> but we also we you know we we hired an artist to design the map, uh, Jason Blower, who's here in Edmonton, does phenomenal work, and and uh, we wanted to create a map because. We plan to take this to various locations uh, around town and have them have the map publicly available. And part of my goal would be, you know, the moment that you land at the Edmonton International Airport, when you pick up information about Edmonton, that this map will be there because we want visitors to know that we're proud of our queer history. And it's an important part of uh, the story of our community and, you know, same with the Downtown Business Association and having the maps available at City Hall. Mm-hmm. Part of what we're trying to do is, is reclaim some space and some voice and, uh, you know, to give people an opportunity to connect. This is a great way to do
1: that, I
2: think. And it's, it's sort of funny. We're, it's, we're talking about, about this, but now this map has become part of Edmonton's queer history. There you go. Right, itself is, becomes an object and becomes a way to, to tell stories. So, you know, history is forever being made mm-hmm. each day.
0: I think that's really fantastic. Um, I mean, that's all the questions that we had for you guys. Uh, But I do want to kind of leave the room with all of you. So, you know, if we're stepping away from this project, um, I think that it would be great For our listeners and for us um, to know some other ways that people in the city or anyone anywhere really can engage with and explore and support the queer community um, in their city, in their home, across the world, wherever. So um, I think, yeah,
4: the floor is open. Well, I think one thing that comes to mind is is volunteering, you know, finding out how to become an ally in in certain ways, contacting places like the Pride Center and and seeing, you know, what do they need? How could you be a volunteer? There's always funding, you know, and how can you how can you donate funding and how can you help support programs? I know Firefly, you can support um, youth going to camp, right? We do that. Um me and my my wife do that. We support youth going to camp. Firefly. So, I mean, it's finding funding opportunities as well as as well as finding out how to be a good ally, how to volunteer. Um, what does the community need and, and how could you help?
2: And I think, uh, you know, so important is go out and support queer spaces, right? Like uh, evolution. And right. uh, um, because if we don't support them, we're not going to have them. And then we lose important parts of our queer history. Um Michelle mentioned the Pride Center of Edmonton, right? That's got a long, rich history that started at, from the beginning of gay, uh, gay alliance towards equality, that morphed into today's uh, modern Pride Center that does so much for uh, our community. So it, it's just, you know, critical that we, you know, we we vote with our with our feet and with our with our dollars and with our time and our and our energy to not only help to preserve the history, but to help to build new history. And we have our, our new center here at McEwan, the Center for Sexual and Gender Diversity, that's actually here in uh, Allard Hall and will be opening in, in Roundhouse. And, and we deliberately selected that location so that we could be connected and accessible uh, to uh, the community. So, you know, it's really important that organizations are taking responsibility to, you know, provide funding to create space for our community to come together. We're teaching, you know, courses here on all kinds of LGBTQ issues uh, at McEwen, student scholarships to LGBTQ uh, students. So there's so many ways to, um, you know, become connected. And I think, you know, to people is literally go open your closets, help to preserve, you know, the (laughs) objects like matchbooks, buttons, ticket stubs, you know, Diaries and photographs, uh, you know, that's another thing. Like, just, you know, write write your memories down, pres- preserve them. And, you know, all of it is queer history, right? Queer history is just not something that
3: belongs to somebody else. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's not just for queer people either, because straight people live through queer history as well. I think, my, uh, I can't believe you let me get the last word, but, but I'm glad <laughs> was, there, was, it, was there any it doubt? <laughs> well, yeah, I was sort of thought, yeah, no, he's not going to let me speak last. <laughs> Um, I, I would say that those are both beautiful ways of, of supporting and, and uh, making the community part of your existence. But the one I'm going to put forward is um, a lot of places where queer voices are first heard when they weren't uh, embraced by the political system or by the mainstream media was in the arts. And queer art is where often the voices of, of reclamation and the stories of visibility and the stories of the trauma and the stories of the hope often happen in art. And so that's the queer history that's being made as we're you know, talking about history. It's actually literally happening around us right now. So um, I know a lot of important queer artists that emerged from the Edmonton art scene before equality even existed. And so that's a valuable place to sort of start looking for the next generation of, of, uh, of voice.
0: Here, hear. Here. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, um, so much for joining us. I hope that everyone um, listening today will follow up with all the links in the episode description. It's going to be a long one with lots of links because there's so many resources and so many stories. And Dylan... Would you like to take us out?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Well, folks, that's it for this episode of Research Recasted. If you've enjoyed exploring this project with us today, you can follow up with the links in the episode description to learn more.
0: You can support this podcast by visiting Research Recasted on your favorite podcast platform to catch new episodes every two weeks. You can also head over to Instagram at Research Recasted and give us a like and a follow there, too.
1: This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Art and Communications at McEwen University.
0: Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design, and editing are by Dylan Cave, with research, copy editing, and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Executive producers are Jason Malenko and Ray Burry.